Hello. Welcome to North Coast Calvary Chapel's audio podcast. Merry Christmas. You know, I'm running out of red flannels. So this morning we are studying in our hidden stories for Christmas, we're studying the Magi, probably the most enigmatic, mysterious people that are in the Christmas story, and you may even push back at that and say, hey, they came at a different time, and we'll talk about that. Should they actually be in the stable with the shepherds? (laughs) Let's just chill out. (laughs) It's okay. Um, But we're going to talk about worship because there's an occurrence of the word three times in this story, and it's Matthew tipping us off as to what he's sensing from the story. And then what we don't have time for you to to glean this morning is how this plays into the entire book of Matthew, but because even though it's a book that's that's written largely with a Jewish bent for a Jewish audience, a part of it is letting the Jewish audience know that God has accepted Gentiles and wants the worship of Gentiles, which is a very radical idea. By the way, if you don't know what that term means, you are one. (laughs) Just saying. Um, It just means you're non-Jewish, that you weren't raised with this wonderful, incredible knowledge of there's one God, that there's, uh, there's a way to live ethically and morally, and uh, there's a code that God has given us, and God is holy, and, he, and he's preparing us all throughout the Old Testament for the coming of Jesus. But once we're there, um, the question is, and it was the question in the early church, how accepted am I if I wasn't raised that way? So here's the question this morning. Are you included? And are all the parts of you included to worship Jesus. So I love this picture because um, some of you are old enough like me to remember the days where there was no security at an airport. Remember, you used to walk to the gate and welcome people as they're getting off the plane and and there's actually no security at an airport. Unbelievable. I mean, you're flying along and you have no idea how many people are packing a gun uh, on, on the plane, just flying along. Might have guns, knives, tasers, everything. And it never mattered. Uh, we had non-smoking and smoking section, right? And sometimes the row right behind you was smoking and you were in the non-smoking section. <laughs> so sometimes the church can become kind of like Every other part of society where they're scanning you when you come in. I remember when I joined the Boy Scouts. I wasn't cool enough because all these kids had been in Cub Scouts. And they knew all this and this, 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 this. And they knew all their knots and they knew everything. And I was just like, I just thought it would be cool. But I could feel that I didn't measure up. First time I went to church, I gave my heart and life to Jesus. I went to my mom's shelf, grabbed a Bible, came into the church, and the, and the usher says to me, hey man, what kind of Bible is that? 
I said, a Bible Bible? <laughs> it's a black Bible? I don't know. And he says, let me look at that. Opens it up and he says, yep, this is the reverse slandered version. You ought to get rid of this. We only do King James here. And I thought, whoa, what's the King James? So we do it all the time. We, we, we wonder if, if I fit in. If, if, and then there's the parts of me that are sin that I wonder how do I deal with this when I come through the door? Do I have to be perfect or is God going to gradually clean me up and teach me and, and, and work with me? And then there's all the other things. Of, I don't know the songs. I don't know why we stand up through the whole worship service. My legs are tired. I don't know why people lift up one hand and not two or lift. I don't know why. I don't know why they close their eyes or, or what should I do? Right? Are you with me? Yeah. yeah. I hope I'm not just exposing too much of myself here. Of, <laughs> but I think about this all the time. If I come through this door and I'm Latino, do I fit in? I'm African American, do I fit in? I'm Dutch, <laughs> do I fit in? I, you know, I love jazz. I don't know what this soft rock is. I love gardening. Nobody ever talks about gardening in the church. So we leave parts of ourselves sometimes outside the door. And my point this morning is God wants all of you for all of him. Can you say that with me? All of me for all of him. Yeah, all of you, but you'd say it all of me. Yeah, all of me. He wants all of you. So we're going to pivot around worship and talk about honest worship because the, the magi represent you. They represent full-on worship. But there's an antagonist in the story, actually two, Herod, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law who refuse to worship and then the Magi who worship fully. Let's take a moment to pray and dive in together. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for specifically in this section of Matthew speaking about worship and your acceptance of all of us. And this morning, our hearts would be that we would be all of us for all of you. In Jesus' name, amen. So we begin with this foreign worship that's described in verses one and two. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem <clears throat> in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Some of your translations might read, we saw his star in the east. And that's one of those translation moments because that's how you say when it rose and it, you use the phrase in the east because that's where everything rises. And so... Uh, just a bit of trivia there. Magi from the east came to Jerusalem. So who were the Magi? 
these are mysterious people. And let's just cover some things here. First of all, our word magic comes from the word magi. So they were looked at as mysterious people that kind of knew more than the rest of us because of a lot of different things. Herodotus, a Greek historian uh, who lived in the time of the Greco-Persian Wars. You know, they, they had this ongoing battle, uh, you know, kind of like the 49ers and the Ravens at the Super Bowl this year. Sorry. And Herodotus says that uh, they are originally part of the Mede tribe, which is a subset, Medo-Persian empire. In the Septuagint, which was the Greek translation of the Hebrew Bible in 132 BC, uh, Daniel, these verses in Daniel, chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 5, uses the word magi there to refer to this subset that Daniel was a part of. Remember Daniel? He's, he's, he's with some other Jewish boys that have, that have been included in this set of magi who are supposed to know a lot of the scriptures of different religions. They're supposed to know all of the history of culture and they're supposed to give wisdom to the king and advise him. Some of the classical writers that write about magi, they almost use the word synonymous with the word priest. Now, later on in Christian tradition, because there's all kinds of Old Testament verses, Psalm 72 for one, a couple of verses in Isaiah that talk about kings finally coming to God through the Messiah, they think, ah, this is the fulfillment of that, the Magi. And so it was in Christian tradition, hundreds of years later after Christ, that we decided they weren't just Magi, but they were kings. <whistles> right? <laughs> then even much later in the 8th century, we decided that there were three because there were three gifts mentioned and we actually gave them names. So that's kind of the history of it, but there's other parts. For example, Nero, Caesar Nero, had a visitation from Magi in 63 AD that's recorded in Roman history. So who were they? They're, they're basically non-Jewish wise guys. It's hard to call them astrologers because I don't think they're astrologers like we, we read horoscopes today. They thought holistically. They didn't think like we think in the in, in Western world. We think uh, compartmentalized. We're very dualistic in our thinking. And uh, so if you are someone that combines medicine which with naturopathic thing, you would use the word, I'm holistic. You're, you're, you're looking at both things. But what if we were holistic in terms of how we viewed nature, how we viewed people? We're just taking information in. And that's how the, the Magi were. They were supposed to know an awful lot about an awful lot of things to advise kings and nobility. 
So where did they come from? Could have been Arabia, that's to the east. It could have been Babylonia, that's to the east, modern day Iraq. But I'm going to give my hat in the ring to Persia, since that's where the word actually came from. And uh, it could be that they traveled over to modern day Iraq, up the Euphrates River, all the way to the border of, Le- of Turkey, and then come down uh, through Syria, along the Damascus Road, through Galilee, all the way into the mountain range of Jerusalem. Maybe 800 or 1,000 miles. And it would have been a large caravan because you've got to have enough meat to travel with. So you're traveling with sheep, you're traveling with goats, maybe some cattle. You have to have armored guards because you're traveling with some valuable gifts. And this caravan arrives in Jerusalem. Now the other question to ask, and I'm glad you asked this, what about the star? What is this star thing that's going on? And the answer to that is, I don't know. If it was a natural phenomenon, there's a choice of three things. One would be it was Halley's Comet or another comet that we just don't know about. But Halley's is the one that passes by our world the most. But the problem with that is that happened, if you rewind the astrological clock, you come up with 11 BC. That's too early for the birth of Jesus. Second choice is a conjunction. Jupiter-Saturn. We know that there was a conjunction of Jupiter-Saturn over the Caspian Sea. It's recorded in history at 7 BC. And, uh, And then the third choice is a nova or supernova, that is an exploding star, And Chinese records tell us there was, uh, in 5 BC, there was a nova that was over China for seven months. So you would say to me, Mark, does it really matter? And some of you are saying to me, wait, 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 what's this 5 BC, 7 BC, 11 BC? It had to happen 0 BC, right? Well, actually, no, because we know that Jesus was born uh, at least 4 B.C. to possibly 6 B.C. And you say, and I say to you, well, it's because of uh, someone in the 6th century who decided to give a date to the birth of Christ and was actually wrong. And we've been wrong ever since. Uh, Jesus was born while Herod was still alive. Herod died in 4 B.C. So there you have it, forks. <laughs> Sorry, I quote El- Elmer Fudd there. <laughs> so it, it could have been a, a special star, you know, that God just said, okay, this is what we're doing now. And, uh, and I'm fine with that as well. I believe that the Magi would have also known Hebrew scriptures and in Numbers 24, 17, Balaam, who was kind of a, like a Magi figure, says this, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star will come out of Jacob. 
a scepter will rise out of Israel. So it could very well be that the Magi had this scripture, they knew about it, and when they see the star, they put two and two together that this is the birth of the king of the Jews. So when the Gentile foreigners, these Magi, see the star, they say, we have come to worship him. Now, because we know this story so well, we've heard it. Even if you're not raised in the church, you've heard it every single year. We don't think of the Magi as foreigners. We think of them as part of the story. Yeah, they're locals. Yeah, they come every year. We like these guys. But Matthew, being a Jew, writing to a Jewish audience, knows that right out of the gate, he's introducing something that's very, very foreign. He's already done that, giving us the genealogy of Jesus. That some of the women in Jesus' genealogy are Gentile women. Why is he doing this? If you follow Matthew all the way through, it's because he wants you and I to know that Gentiles are now included because of Jesus. That's big. You have the centurion coming to Jesus and saying, heal my servant. Jesus just says, it just speaks a word, and the servant is healed. You have the woman entire, not E-N-T-I-R-E, but capital T-Y-R-E, in Sidon and Tyre, who happens to be a Gentile. And Jesus says, I'm focused on the Jews right now. And and she says, but even the dogs under the table get the crumbs. And Jesus likes that answer. And And he heals her daughter. You have all kinds of instances. And then finally, at the end of the story, you have this centurion, this guard, looking up and seeing Jesus and saying, truly, he is the son of God. So if foreigners or Gentiles are accepted, it begs the question, how much of you is accepted? If you're Jewish, you know that you have been taught not only the ethical, moral laws that many people are taught around the world. The Ten Commandments are not unique only to Judaism. Morals and ethics are taught in religions all around the world, but you also know that there's a whole sacrificial system. Somehow you have to deal with your sin, and how are we going to be accepted by God? Day of atonement, etc. Passover. Then you have the ceremonial cleansing laws in terms of how you come into the temple. If you're a priest, you have laws about that in terms of what clothing you can wear and how you come into the temple. It goes on and on and on and on. The early church faced this very issue. The first, probably, my estimation is 70,000 believers were all Jewish. It's pretty radical to think about that, that Christianity was originally a Jewish sect called the way. I think it's fun, I, and I tell my Jewish friends that all the time. They say, you're kidding me. And I, because most Jews think of Christianity as a Gentile religion, right? Rather than seeing Gentiles as grafted in to a very Jewish 
religion. But in chapter 15 of the book of Acts, the early church faced the question because now the gospel was spilling out, outside of Jerusalem. Gentiles, Cornelius first, uh, Samaritans, there's a revival there, an Ethiopian, eunuch, uh, all these people are starting to get the gospel and the question is, what do we do? Oy vey, right? And, and so there's a council and there's a strong lobby to keep things PC, to keep things correct. And it's, it's Pharisees that have converted to Jesus. They believe in Jesus. They believe in the blood of the cross, but they argue they also, Gentiles have to become Jewish. If you're a man, you need to be circumcised. Men and women all need to follow the law, the Torah. And Peter stands up and speaks and says, wait, 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 time out. This has been a yoke that has been too heavy for even us to bear. They weren't raised Jewish. They don't think Jewish. They're not ethnically Jewish. And why are we putting this yoke on them? So James, the leader, who is the half-brother of Jesus, think about that. Same mother, different father. Think about that. Hint, virgin birth. Okay. (laughs) He finally stands up and says, It's not right that we should expect foreigners to behave as if they're locals. So let's advise them as they come to faith in Jesus. Number one, try not to eat meat that's been sacrificed to idols. Number two, try to stay away from fornication. That is immorality, sexual immorality. And number three, try to stay away from drinking blood. So all of you that have Dracula tendencies, no, it was actually dealing with how you drain the blood when you slaughter animals, you know. And that was it. So think of that. If you come from an ethnicity where you love to dance like this, or if you love to dance, I'm just gonna stop right there. You love this music, you love that music, you love to dress up, you love to dress down, you like this, you like that. There is no scanner at the door. Whoa, I'm telling you, there's a chance for you. There's a chance for me. And this is this radical worship that the Magi are performing for you and I. They're modeling the fact that you, as a foreigner, would worship. Now, how did they worship? We have no idea. They, they gave gifts. The word worship, proskuneo, means to bow down and kiss the feet. So whether they did that literally or just figuratively, but I'm guessing they, they did not do it Jewishly. And Mary... And Joseph, devout Jews, were okay with that. And foreigners worshipped Jesus. Wow. It's big. 
it's really big. Some of us were privileged to see Billy Graham come here to San Diego, one of his last crusades. Wasn't that cool to have him here and to see how many thousands of people came to Christ? But on one particular night, if you were there, as I was, uh, Billy Graham was about 12 minutes into his sermon when he switched and started giving the altar call. And I turned to my friend, I said, whoa, 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 what, what just happened here? You know, he was just getting started and now he switched. And it turned out what happened was the, the overflow was so big that all the ushers started coming down the aisles with chairs and setting up chairs on the field, more chairs for people to sit. Billy sees that and realizes, oh, you know, I must be in that part of my sermon. And so he switches and starts saying, come. And the choir begins to sing. What song? Just as I am. The cool thing about that night is more people came to faith in Christ than any of the other nights of the crusade. And he only got half a sermon in. But it's the thought that God would accept me just as I am. Because how otherwise do you start worshiping Jesus? How much do you need to memorize? How much of the Bible do you need to read? How many coats and ties do you need to buy? How churchy do you need to be to start worshiping Jesus? Or the moment you decide he's my Lord and Savior, irrespective of your background, do you start right then? It's a big question. And God accepts the worship of foreigners. The second point here is feigned worship. Herod pretends to worship, but actually worships himself. Uh, Nobody uses the word feigned anymore, but uh, it used to be back in the day that surfers would use that term. And it was, it's a move that longboarders usually, some shortboarders, but longboarders particularly, will use where they feign like they're going right, but then they go left. And it's actually a good move if you're just kind of trying to melt the whole wave, but it's also a good move to chase everybody off your wave. Because if you go right, then everybody who's the right of you uh, does not have priority, you do, so they all back off the wave, and then you drop your knee and go left, and now you have priority for everybody that's c- coming onto the wave. You feigned it that you were going right. You faked it. You faked a right, and you went left. So Herod fakes a worship here. When King Herod, verse 3, heard this, He was disturbed. Important word here. All Jerusalem with him, and all Jerusalem. When he called together all the peoples and the chief priests and the teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. And they respond, in Bethlehem, in Judea. They knew their Bible. In Micah, it says, but you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, 
are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Here's where it gets tricky. Then Herod called the Magi secretly. So nobody knows he has this second meeting with the Magi, and he found out from them the exact time of the star. When did you see the star? Now, if it took them seven months to travel from Iran to there, they would have responded, well, actually, the earliest we saw the star was two years ago. And do you remember the age of the children that were killed by Herod? Two years and under. It's a key question that he secretly finds the answer to. He then sends them to Bethlehem and listen to his words. Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and, here's the second occurrence of the word, proskuneo, that I may pay homage, that I may worship. But it's fake. It's fake worship. He's not actually going to worship. So Herod has every opportunity here, listen, to be the first king in all the world to worship the king of the Jews. Wouldn't that be a cool thing to have in the Bible forever? And Herod came and worshiped too. The chief priests have the chance to be the first Jewish leaders that come and worship Jesus. But both groups fake it. They don't come. They're not interested. So Herod and the leaders are disturbed. Notice it says back in verse 3, when he heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him, meaning the leaders in Jerusalem. So what are they disturbed by? Power, control, importance, kingdom. It's the same thing you and I are disturbed by. You know, when I heard the gospel that you could give your heart and life to Jesus and he would forgive you of all your sins, I, I became disturbed. I had met a few Christians. They seemed weird to me. And I thought, do I have to become weird? You know, and they said, no, you can come just as you are. You're already weird. <laughs> you have your own personal weirdness. But then I thought, of all the things I like to do that were sin or not sin, is he going to change my life? Is he going to mess with me? And to, to be honest about the fine print, he will mess with you. He's not going to mess with the fact that you love golf. He wants to go golfing with you. Someone asked me last night, he says, you always use analogies of surfing. He says, what about bowling? <laughs> I said, good point. God wants to go bowling with you. But if you cheat on your score, he wants to mess with that. He wants to go to the office with you, but if you cheat on your taxes, he wants, he wants to change that. 
He wants to bring his love and ethics into our lives, but your uniqueness as a foreigner, he accepts you just as you are. But it's this issue of control that disturbs us. I've given you a quote once before, and I'll give it again from Michael Wilding. It says, um, he was asked, are there any particular traits that are unique to actors as human beings? And he says, without a doubt, you can pick out actors by the glazed look that comes into their eyes when the conversation wanders away from themselves. The attention onto someone, that was what Herod is dealing with. This guy, I want to be king of the Jews. I am the king of the Jews, but this guy is going to usurp my title. Some people do make honest searches for Jesus, and I love the people that are honestly searching you know, big, big questions. All the same questions I have. What about all the other religions of the world? What about uh, the Bible and science? What about who wrote the Bible? What about, you know, all the, it just goes on and on. What about politics and Christianity? I think those are all fair game, and we need to be able to have good answers and to be able to dialogue about all those things. But sometimes... They're fake. It's a way of diverting so that I don't have to come to Jesus. Winston Churchill said, men occasionally stumble over the truth, but most of them pick themselves up and hurry off as if nothing happened. So we finally come to this fulfilled worship or the worship that I call all of you for all of him. Verse nine, after they had heard the king, they went on their way and the star they had seen when it rose, when it went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped. There's the third occurrence, proskeneo. When they opened their treasures, and then they opened them, and they presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. I, I'm still fascinated by the fact that James Taylor wrote a song about that verse 12. Uh, go back by another way. And that, I mean, I don't think there's anybody else on the planet that wrote a song about going back from Herod another way. There you have it, right? So what about this star that led them? You're a science guy and you're saying, whoa, 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 whoa. The, they followed the star. You know, it sounds like it stopped over Bethlehem. This sounds pretty mythological, right? At least I would say that if you take those words literally, you know, the idea that you've seen in, in a nativity scene that kids act out on the stage and there's someone carrying the star and there's the guys that, you know, that are mounted on cardboard camels following the star and we think, yeah, it must have been a myth. No, I think this is not a myth. I think this is poetic language 
telling us that they're looking for the star. They relocated the star. And in however they were following the star, they knew it was Bethlehem. That's, they went to the capital, assuming that the king of the Jews would be born in the capital, which was Jerusalem. They find out from Jerusalem's wise men, their leaders, that know it's Bethlehem. They go down to Bethlehem, and they find Jesus. It would have been a very small village, and you'll notice that now he's in a house. He's not in a stable. If you go to Bethlehem today, they'll usually take you to a cave uh, and say it was probably some place like this that the stable was located because there's caves where animals are kept uh, during the night. And, and that could be, but regardless, uh, by this time, they're in a house and the word for child is used instead of in the uh, previous narrative where Jesus is a baby or an infant. So they come and they bring these meaningful gifts that on face value would be gifts that you would give to any king. When you look at the Queen of Sheba coming to visit Solomon, it was these kind of gifts that she brings. They're expensive gifts, they're valuable gifts, uh, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. But it could be that the symbolism that people have picked up on are actually true, the gold for a king, the frankincense for a priest, and the myrrh burial for Jesus' sacrifice for you and me. But the point that Matthew wants us to know is that they worshiped him. Gentile non-Jews give homage to the king of the Jews. This is what's been foretold. This is what all the way back in the beginning was told to Abraham that all the nations of the earth will be blessed through your offspring. This is what David was promised. And this is what was promised all the way through the Psalms and Isaiah that all the nations of the earth would come to worship. But once again, it begs the question, how Jewish do I have to be to have good worship? Do I need to worship in Hebrew? Do I need, and you begin to ask all of the questions. But it's a bigger question than that. It's how much of you do you have to leave outside the door to come in and worship? Because you're your own unique you, or should you bring all of you, the good, the bad, and the ugly, and start there and worship him. And I know we know the answer in our minds, but do we know the answer in our hearts? When you rush all the way through to the end of the book of Matthew, you come to Matthew 28, 17 that says, when they saw him, they worshiped him. And these are the disciples, same word. It all comes together from the beginning to the end. When people see who Jesus really is, we come, all of us, for all of him. So when I became a Christian, I, uh, I really struggled with this issue. Those of you that know me as a pastor, I'm constantly harping on the idea that everybody gets to come through that door. 
everybody. And I pressed and pressed uh, that people, when they come, they ask the question, am I on the stage? Am I accepted? They look around. Do I fit into this group? And the answer at the beginning, in the middle, in the end of your journey is yes, 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 yes. This December, I celebrate my 50th birthday as a Christian. I've been... I've been walking with him a long time. And the question, I still ask the question, can I bring all of me to all of him? And the answer is yes. Yes, yes, yes. A song that came out, I think it was written in the 40s, perhaps the 50s, that I have a love-hate relationship with. I hear it every Christmas on the radio. Uh, The Little little Drummer Boy. I like the song, I just get tired of the pa-rum-pa-pum-pumps. You know what I'm saying? Like, you sing a line, and then pa-rum-pa-pum-pum, and then you sing another line as pa-rum-pa-pum. There just feels like there's too many pa-rum-pa-pum-pums. So, but it keeps pulsating through the song. And you feel the tension, and, and the little drummer boy's finally asking the question, what do I bring? What do I bring? I'm a drummer. Now, if you know anything about a drummer... I mean, there's all kinds of jokes made about drummers, right, drummers? I mean, people will, will say, well, how many musicians in your band? They'll, they'll say, well, we have four musicians and a drummer, you know. <laughs> there was a movie made about rock acts, and, you know, the drummer was always picked on and is disappearing and disappearing into green slime. You know, it's just... It's just uh, I guess it's an inside joke. But, uh, so what do I do? I'm a drummer. What do I do? I'm a mechanic. What do I do? I'm a Hindu that has discovered Jesus. What do I do? Obviously, your religion changes. Your spirituality changes. But the culture that you've been raised in, what do I do? And the drummer decides to play his drum for him. Now, how I would change the song is it would break, the song would break into this huge ginger baker drum solo. You know, just... (laughs) There would be no pa-rum-pa-pum-pum. Because they realize, I'm accepted I like gardening, I like cooking, I hate cooking, I like shopping, I like, you know, I'm me and I don't know how else to stop being me. How do I worship Jesus as me? And the drummer plays for him. Pa-rum-pa-pum-pum. Rum-pa-pum-pum. Rum-pa-pum-pum. So my friends, the message for Christmas is you were born a foreigner. You come to Jesus as a foreigner and you don't hold back. You give him 
all of you for all of him. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the message of the Magi. Thank you for the fulfillment of the Torah that all the nations of the earth can now discover you and that we can worship you in spirit and in truth. And God, on this day, this Christmas season, God, we scan our hearts. We ask ourselves, is there anything we're leaving outside the door? And God, we bring it in. We say, here it is, God. All of me for all of you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening this week. If you're looking for ways to serve, give, or get connected, please visit our website, northcoastcalvary.org.